Take your Bibles this evening. Go with us to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We were here a couple of weeks ago when we were together, and we'll go back here uh, tonight. And not sure if we will finish the whole chapter or not, but we will we'll give it a good try. Uh, I'm I'm glad to have Brother Brian and Miss Bethany back. If anybody is glad to have them back, it's me. Uh, I told him this morning, repeat after me, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So he did, and uh, we're glad to have them. Austin and Miss Holly are uh, actually at Word of Life this week with a few of our teenagers, and about five or six of them went for a round two of camp this week, and so be praying for them, and then also I hope that you will be praying for uh, the guys that will be leaving at 1.30 a.m. on Tuesday morning, they'll be pulling out of here and going to Nashville Airport and flying out very, very early Tuesday morning. Uh, so I hope that you will be, be praying for them throughout this week. We are uh, looking at some of the vital characteristics of God. Of course, all the characteristics of God are, are vital. And this morning we looked at, at one that we are all very thankful for, and that is the compassion of God, and as we go through Psalm 139, we are we are looking at His omniscience, at His omnipotence, at His omnipresence, at His sovereignty in our life. And I love again what uh, A. W. Tozer said about God and how that affects our life and how we view God. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, because everything in our life flows from our view of God and how we how we see God, everything in our life, everything in our eternal destiny flows from our view of God. And what we have come to see in this text is although God is, is all-powerful and he is all-knowing and he is all-present, that, that he's not a far-distant God, that David shows us that he is a personal God. And David expresses uh, that in this psalm as he describes how God's character impacts him personally. And hopefully you and I are reminded as we go through this uh, what his omniscience means to us personally, what his omnipotence means to us personally. And you'll notice all the personal pronouns that David uses as we go through this psalm. And I want to read the psalm one more time in its entirety this evening, beginning in verse number one. O Lord, thou hast searched me, known me. Thou, hast, thou knowest my downsittings and my uprisings. Thou understand my thoughts afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I can't literally, David's saying, I can't wrap my mind around you. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light, they're both alike to thee. There's no difference between the darkness and the light. You see as well in the dark as you see in the light. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. 
I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked. Some of you could say verse 18 through some of my preaching. When I awake, I'm still with thee. Surely, sorry, that's totally out of context there. Verse 19, surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Almighty Father, we we thank you that you are not only all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere that we are, but you are our personal Father, our God, and You bid us to come to you as a child to its father and to fellowship with you, to lay our burdens before you, and we thank you for the access that we have to you. We thank you, Lord, that as we go through these characteristics, I pray that tonight it would be an encouragement to us. I I pray, Lord, if there's things in our life that need to be changed, that these things would be a, a challenge to us, Lord, but I pray that we would be reminded tonight that you do have the whole world in your hands and we can rest in you. And we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us through your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Again, you can kind of divide this this chapter, verses 1 through 6, deals with the omniscience of God. Verses 7 through 12 deals with the omnipresence of God. Then verses 13 and following through really verse 18 talk about the omnipotence of God and then a recap at the end. Remember in verse number 1 that... David has given us a declaration of God's omniscience. He is declaring his omniscience. Verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And then in verse number 23, to close out the chapter, he gives a declaration of, of his openness before God. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. In other words, verse 1 praises God's sovereignty. And verse number 23 proclaims David's surrender to God's sovereignty. And as we talked about last week, first of all, the omniscience of God. This is saying that God knows me in verses 1 through 6. And as we mentioned, man's knowledge, it is limited. It is accumulative. We learn. But God's knowledge is immeasurable. God's knowledge is limitless. God's knowledge is immediate. He has never been enlightened or informed on anything. He is perfect in knowledge, David says. And this is why every prediction and every prophecy is accurate and why God's word is so unique because he knew everything from the beginning. And yet David brings this down to a personal level. He says 
that not only is the, the knowledge of God immeasurable, but it is, it is also individual, it is personal. In other words, yes, he is an infinite God, but he is also an intimate God. He's infinite, he knows it all, he is in all places, and yet he is an intimate God who, verses one and two, uh, reminds us that he sees our movements. He says, you have searched me, you have known me. Nothing escapes the all-seeing eye of God. He knows when and where we sit. He knows when and where we lay down and take naps and rise up. He knows our movements. He also knows our motives, verse number two. You understand my thoughts afar off. God sees perfectly our motives and our purposes. He knows everything that we think. And not only does he know everything that we think, but he knows why we think what we think. He knows deep into our motives and into our hearts. And then not only does he know our movements and our motives, but David says, you know our, our words before we even speak them, verse number four. In other words, he is a silent listener to every conversation. He is a, a silent listener to every gossip session. He is a silent listener to, to all that goes on when we think that we are alone. There's not a movement that he doesn't see. There's not a motive that he doesn't know. There's not a, a murmur that he doesn't hear. He knows it all. He sees it all. He hears it all. And when David thinks about that, look, when he, when he grasps all of those things, he says in verse number four, you know it all together. Verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I, I can't contain. I can't a- attain into it. Beyond our comprehension. And then we talked about what is our response to that? What is our response to God's omniscience? And our response to that is, is either dread or it is delight. It either brings us worry and fret and dread or we're able to, as David does, to, to sing a song of joy about the omniscience of God. That he knows it all together. When our hearts are desirous of sanctification like David's was, then we can with David sing. This is a song of a clear conscience. God's omniscience, what does it do to us? It sobers us because we know that we're going to appear at the Bema seat of Christ. It also secures us. Uh, We want to please God. As believers, we want to please our Father But our eternal salvation is not dependent upon my future performance. God knows all that I have done. Brother Steve, he knows all that I do now and he knows all that I will do. And nothing can separate, nothing can pluck me out of his hand. It secures us and it also satisfies us because he knows our every need. He knows our deepest needs. He knows what things we have need of them. Before we ask him, because he sees our thoughts and our motives and our intents. He's never caught off guard by our needs. He does encourage us to come to him with our needs and to petition him with our needs, but he knows them before we ever do. So for the believer who's walking in fellowship with God, the omniscience of God, it's not a threat, it's a refuge. It's a refuge. Then we looked at briefly and touched on the omnipresence of God. Not only does he know us, but he surrounds us. Whither shall I go, verse seven, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? God is is present, David says, on both sides of the grave. You can't escape him by death. 
You, you can't take your life and think that that is going to give you an escape away from God because he says in verse number eight, he is in the heavens, he is beneath the earth. Verse nine and 10, he is as far as the east is from the west. So David is saying he is north and south and east and west. And again, to the unbeliever, that is terrifying news that if you do not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you will not escape him. He says he is in heaven, he is in hell. In hell, he will be your judge. In heaven, he will be your savior. Distance doesn't hide us from God. God fences us in, he says, but God can't be fenced in. Distance doesn't hide us from God, but then again we saw that darkness doesn't hide us from God. Verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. In other words, I'll do this when... No one else is looking. I'll do this with the lights out. I'll do this after 9 or 10 o'clock. So David answers this question, how close is God to us? And the answer is this, at no time are we any distance further away from God than we have been. You know, a lot of times we think we'll go to church and that's where God is. Especially as a child, you know, we'll go to God's house. That's where God lives, and that's where we'll go visit God. That's a dangerous mentality that our children can have because it's not just here. He is everywhere. He is with us when we leave here. He is is in every place. Jeremiah 23, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar? Can, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord? God is everywhere. He is not, he doesn't just hang out at church. He is in all places. We are never not in the presence of God. He sees everything. Pastor was trying to get his congregation to see this point. So instead of coming to the pulpit when it was his time to preach, he decided he was going to go up into the uh, Actually, the attic, but we could say the sound, the sound room up there. And as he stood up, he began to, to talk to them. Miss Patty, I see you scratching your head. Brad, I see you scrolling through Instagram. Everybody doesn't see him, but his whole point is this. He's trying to get them to understand that an almighty God who is... All present sees everything that we do. He's everywhere that we are. David's point is death can't hide us from God. Distance can't hide us from God. Darkness can't hide us from God. And then the third and last thing that we'll look at this evening is the omnipotence of God. The omnipotence of God. Not only does he know us, not only does he surround us, But he made us. By the way, let me go back for just a moment and think about this, that this week, while part of our church family is in Honduras and part of them are in Tampa, Florida, and we are here, that God is with us all. It's an awesome thought, isn't it? It's a comforting thought for the child of God. The omnipresence of God for the, the child of God who is in fellowship with God 
Again, it's not a threat, it's a refuge. The omniscience of God for the child of God who is in fellowship with God is not a threat, it's a refuge. And then how else could we explain and describe the omnipotence of God in a greater way than to think that he made us? How carefully did God make us? In what greater way do we acknowledge the supernatural power of God than the human body? Than a child in the womb of a mother, of the whole birthing process. As I was reading this, I thought back again as a 22-year-old young man, very sheltered life. And I remember going into that room where Kim was giving birth to Jordan and I was amazed how all that happened. I, I was so amazed I had to sit down. It's amazing when you think about the whole process. And so David chooses this picture to talk about the omnipotence of God, the power of God. Verse 13, he has possessed my reins. And and when he talks there about our reins, it's all of our vital organs. He has possessed all of our vital organs. He has covered me. Literally, he has knitted us together in our mother's womb. The Hebrew word construction here is, it's emphatic. And so the idea is this, you God, you and no other formed me. And we can get into all the science of this and David's not giving a science lesson. But there are many times when a husband and wife come together in a way that could produce children. And obviously there are times when that happens But not every time. You know why? Because it's God who who makes it happen. It's God who is involved in it. It only happens, let me say this. How many of you believe this? It only happens when God wants it to happen. He is sovereign over it. And so David pins this. He, He talks so vividly about it before the days of sonograms, before the days of stethoscopes. This is God's inspired truth to David and to us. He reveals that his sovereign design is is deeply invested inside every mother's womb at the moment of conception. Long before the quote-unquote advances in science, David proclaimed that we are not the result of nature, God alone crafted everything about us and he formed us in the womb. His declaration is that God is with us before we ever enter the world outside of the womb. He is weaving every detail together. Can you run fast? Most of us would say no to that, but if you can, it's because God made you that way. Are you slow? It's because God made you that way. Are you extremely intelligent? Did you do very well on your SAT scores, ACT scores, whatever they are? Shows you how intelligent I am. If you are, 
It's because God made you that way. I, I love the story of Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell, the Olympian champion who was a Christian. He said this, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Are you able to easily relate to people? God made you that way. And if you're not, God made you that way. Let me say it this way. Do you have a disability? God crafted every advantage and ability, but he also crafted every disadvantage and disability. Say, I don't know about that. God does all things well. Well, remember the story in the New Testament where the boy was ill and they said, who sinned, this boy or his parents? What was Jesus's answer? Either. The truth is, is that God in his divine purpose allows at times for us to go through sickness and disability and he allowed our two sons to be born with a a liver disease and I believe that God allowed that for a divine purpose. Notice David's declaration in verse 14 as he remembers the omnipotence of God. I will praise thee. Notice this phrase. For I am what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. That word wonderfully means uniquely different. A staggering thought is that every minute of every day some Three billion cells in our bodies die every minute and the same number are created to take their place. Listen, church, that did not just happen. There is a God behind that. There is a God behind the difficulties of how this functions. There is a a God behind the the design of this earth that, that we have not burned up, that we have not frozen. There is a God behind every bit of it. And in order to try to excuse away God so that man is not accountable to God, they have tried to make ways around this. But when you consider the human body, chance is an impossibility. This didn't just happen by chance. We're made in the image of God, unlike the animal kingdom. No animal hopes that other animals have enough to live on when they get old. That's something that God has put in humans. He's set us apart. He set us apart from the animal kingdom. Our dog, Finn, he he doesn't make an idol and then worship it. Now, sometimes you might think that with food, you put it in front of him. He'll sit, he'll lay, he'll do anything for it. But dogs don't do that. Animals don't do that. Humans do that. Why? Because God creates us with the truth of eternity in our hearts. God created us different. He created us in his image. And evolution has downgraded mankind to to just a step above animals, a little higher on the food chain. I was amazed this week to read, and I didn't even know about this, but in 2005, the London Zoo opened a new exhibit with humans crawling on rocks and playing board games. And the exhibit above the sign said, humans in the natural environment. Now, obviously, this was done on purpose to downplay the uniqueness of human beings and portray them just as another primate. The Bible clearly presents, church, another story. 
If you want to be blown away by the power of God, study the human body. And that's what David goes to. You and I are original. There is no one else like us. Not only are we not like the animal kingdom, but we are unique, unlike any other human being. No one else on the planet has the same fingerprint as you do. Even twins and triplets have different fingerprints, which means this, that God has crafted more than 7 billion fingerprints belonging to people on the planet today, and he's not run out of ideas after 7 billion to prove his point that we are unique. That we are special, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what he says. Not just the things that you like, but the things that you don't like. Not just your strengths, but your weaknesses. Which is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Get this out of your head. I do not care what you have been told. You were not an accident. God made you. God had a part in you being born. God did not make a mistake when he made you a certain way, when he allowed something in your life. So we surrender to God for grace and strength to take one day at a time in complete dependence upon him. In fact, isn't it often the disabled among us that often God uses with the most powerful testimonies of his grace? In their weakness, he is strong. Perhaps you have seen the story of Nick Vojacic, I think is how you pronounce his name. He was born with a, a rare genetic disorder, leaving him with no arms and no legs. How many of you have seen videos or seen his story. No legs, no arms, just two small feet which grew at the base of his torso. And today he is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, speaks all over the world and describes what he calls his ridiculously good life. And I know this is a a little bit of a lengthy clip, but I wanted us to take a little bit of time tonight because it portrays this point and teaches this point so well. God will use the foolish things to confound the wise. God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet to prove that it's not about Nick. It's not about his ability. It's not about him and his strength and how how he speaks all around the world and uses his hands greatly as gestures and body language while he gets excited preaching. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. I didn't write my story, Jesus wrote my story. He knew me before the earth began. And I don't know about you, but yeah, it's good to have a job. It's good to have a relationship and get married and have kids. It's good to have that stuff. But until you find Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there will be always something missing. You can't rely on you because you will fail you every single time, just about. I needed him, not just because of this, but for my heart, for my mind. By the grace of God, 
he kept me here on earth, even though I tried to commit suicide at age 10. The bullying at my school convinced me that I was a mistake, that I'd never eventuate to anything. Man, what a lie. When you realize it's just the devil, I say just the devil because the devil's nothing compared to Jesus. I was listening to the encouragement my parents were saying, but then listening to the lies at the same time, the lies saying, you're not good enough, Nick, just give up. No, I am wonderfully and fearfully made according to Psalm 139. Oh, Nick, you should just give up. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. At age 10, I didn't believe the truth because I wasn't running the race. I wasn't in the right race. The race where it's not just getting things in your life and doing things and having things. What happens after you get married? You think you're the happiest person alive. You need to talk to some married people first. <laughs> Amen? All right, so then after you get married, and I love my wife, trust me. But if you're not happy single in Jesus, then you're not going to be happy married. Amen? It's not about me. It's not about my ability. It's not anything about that. It's all about Jesus. It's not about what you have or what you don't have, what you wish you had or what you wish you didn't have. It's all about Jesus, that no matter where you are in your life right now, if you ask God to forgive you of your sin and you repent of your sin, God will come into your life, forgive you of your sin. You'll receive his life, his blessings, his life eternal, and his life, life's plan for your life. Not my plan. I don't want my plan. Sometimes we just need to get over ourselves and actually realize that sometimes God actually has a better plan. I suggest a plan to God and he doesn't say anything sometimes. But we gotta understand that God's ways are higher than ours and thoughts are higher than ours. And I showed that video for, for the summary of my testimony. And I want you to know in your life, I don't know what you're going through, but God does. If I have Jesus, I have everything I need. Now, does that mean I, I don't have a pair of shoes in my closet just in case he says yes to me? No, I do have a pair, okay? Just in case, okay? I want to be ready. But what we need healing first is in the inside and to hear the voice of God. Hearing the voice of God, when you hear a phone ring, you pick it up, okay? When you're sometimes dialing into heaven and it feels like he's not picking up, don't hang up on God. He's listening. I hung up on God because I didn't understand his plan. God said through my parents, Nick, God's got a plan for your life. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I have a whole plan in the future. I'm like, no way. There's no race like that. There's no heaven. There's no God. Look at all the pain in the world. If God loved the world, then why is he letting so much pain happen? Later on, you realize in the Bible, God doesn't give us pain. But whatever the enemy tried to use for bad, God turned into good. I can't do anything with my broken pieces. But there's nothing that God cannot do. I've seen pain. I've seen miracles. God allows things that we don't understand. But I want you to know if you hold on to him, he'll hold on to you. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart, even when you cannot walk, He'll carry you. When you don't get a miracle, 
you can still be a miracle. I don't need what the world can give me. I want what Jesus wants to give me. What do you think I rather want? One more person to live forever or have a little bit more money? What do you take with you? Nothing. Nothing. Not your garden, not your car, not your nothing. Just you, your soul. And the encouragement you've planted all around you, hopefully souls to come with you. I can only imagine. Now, don't, don't handcuff me because of my doctrine, but I just like this illustration. Imagine God sees me and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. And then he sort of looks over my shoulder and says, who'd you bring? Amen? I want to run that race, the race that matters, the race that counts. And I'd rather be paralyzed in the arms of Jesus in that race than be the first prize winner and runner in any other race. Amen. You can't convince me that that God didn't have a divine purpose in what he allowed in Nick's life. And the millions of people that he shared the gospel with, that he never would have had an opportunity to share the gospel with otherwise. Nick said, my victory came in surrender. It's not about the most ability, it's about surrender. And you know what? Nick and David are singing the same song, verse 14. I will praise thee, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. It was Dr. Helen Rezevere, a medical missionary, a doctor in the Congo in the 60s, who was one of the few out of her colleagues on a certain trip that survived. She was raped, she was beaten, she barely got out alive, and she writes that during a time of questioning God why, she said that the Spirit of God spoke to her heart, saying, Helen, will you trust me with this, even if I never tell you why? See, God sees a lot more than we will ever see. Do we trust him or not? Do we believe that he's sovereign or not? In regards to the sovereignty of God, someone said, the hardest thing to accept is the softest place to land. The hardest thing to accept that God is sovereign is the softest place to to land, to accept God's design and demonstrate trust in a creator God who displays his glory through both human strength and our human weakness is to declare to our creator God that we trust him completely in humble surrender. This is why, church, that it's so important for us to live this life day in and day out with an eternal perspective because all of these temporary ailments, all these temporary things that we go through, they are just that. They are just temporary. Who are you bringing with you? That's what matters the most. It matters what we are doing for eternity. And the good news is that one day we will have perfect bodies. That Nick will have a perfect body, that we will one day have perfect minds and perfect operating emotions and perfectly, perfectly functioning brains and perfectly communing souls with our creator God. 
And when David considers all this, he concludes, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. They're more than the number of the sand. That's how you think about me. Again, David brings this down to a personal level. This omnipotent God, this all-powerful God. Brian, he thinks about us day in and day out. He didn't just create us, but he, he loves us and he thinks about us. This brings such joy and comfort and purpose to our life. As the hymn writer penned, he promised never to leave me. I love that song, never to leave me alone. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Psalm 16, 11, in thy presence is fullness of joy. It's why David wrote in Psalm 23 in verse number 4, I will, I will fear no evil. Why, David, will you, will you fear no evil? Because you are with me. Wherever I go, you are there. Psalm 16, 8, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. You know what David is saying? God is the already God. He is the already God. We can't say a word without him knowing it already, verse number four. We can't go anywhere without him being there already, verse number eight. And before we were ever born, God was already forming us, verse 13. Before our mothers ever knew that we were in their womb, God knew that we were there. He was designing us. And then in verses 19 through 24, David gives a a closing. And as he's thinking about the omniscience and the omnipresence and the omnipotence of God, he prays two things. He prayed that the Lord would save him, verses 19 through 22. And then he prayed that the Lord would search him, verse 23 and 24. Since David understood the wickedness and the deception of his own heart, he prayed for God to turn the searchlight on his own life. God, take away all the blinders, take away all the the, the slanted views that I have of myself and my goodness. Take that all away. Take away the deception that I have in my heart. And God, since I can't see it clearly, would you search me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and show it to me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Here's just some things for us to take away and we're done. As we think about these characteristics, consciously, every day, think about God's presence. When you get up in the morning, think about the presence of God. Psalm 4610, be still and what? Know that I am God. Get still and think about God's presence and then carry on a constant conversation with God. Do you know what Psalm 139 is? It's a conversation that David is having with God. He is rehearsing the characteristics of God. Verse one, O Lord. Verse two, thou. Verse five, thou. Verse seven, thy spirit. This is David pouring out his heart to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Don't pray at God, talk to God. Share everything with God. 
And then lastly, develop a spirit of praise. This is what David does in verse number 14. I will praise thee. What does the Bible say? God inhabits the praise of his people. Learn to praise him, not just on Sunday. In fact, when you come in here on Sunday, the music ought not to have to get you stirred up. Sunday ought to be overtime from a week full of praise. In fact, when we come in on Sunday, our hearts ought to be pounding and ready to worship and to praise the Lord because all week we have been praising him in our car and we've been having to listen to ourselves sing and now we get to come together with the body of Christ and we get to praise him together and God inhabits the praise of his people. We need to get in a habit of praising God. I love what Adrian Rogers said, when you're discouraged, his presence will see you through. When you're lonely, his presence will cheer you up. When you're worried, his presence will calm you down. And when you're tempted, his presence will help you out. Every day, think about the presence of God. And as a child of God, it ought to bring great joy to our heart and to our lives and comfort. It ought to be a refuge to us. It ought to change us. It ought to make us people of thanksgiving. It ought to make us people of courage. It ought to make us people of surrender, as Nick did. God, you have a purpose for my life. Even all that you allowed in my life, some by my own choosing, some not by my own choosing. I think about the hardships and the difficulties that some people go through in their life and the abuse that they have gone through And we wonder why. And certainly God is not behind those things. But as Nick said, he can take what was meant for evil and he can use it for good. If we will surrender to him and allow him to let us share our story of God's amazing grace in our life. If we will like Nick. You know, Nick could have grown up with a bad attitude. He could have grown up making excuses, complaining. But it's a choice that we make to say, God, you are sovereign, you are God, I am not, I surrender to your sovereignty. And that is what David is declaring. Verse number one, God, you are omniscient, you are all-knowing, you are sovereign. Verse 23, search me. Search me. A surrender to his sovereignty. 